Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. I hope you do. I encourage you to do so. And I would also encourage you to do one other thing if you're not in the habit of doing it. And I do when I sit in the pew is I keep my pen out. And uh, I either take notes in the margins of my Bible or on a piece of paper that I carry. Uh, I probably have some blank paper, and yes, I do, here in my Bible that I can scratch notes on. See, I've got an ulterior motive. When I get to listen to some other preacher, I like to take notes to help myself out. I can get some pretty good ideas, you know, for, for sermons that I might want to preach. I'm not, maybe you will do the same thing. At least you can check me out to see if I'm accurate. I would encourage you to do it. If the Lord will let you, write in the margins of your Bible. I've got mine marked up, something fierce. One of these days I'm going to have to change Bible so I can read my writing. I'm, it's, it's getting pretty messy. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be speaking about some doctrinal subjects this morning. I don't know what uh, particular pattern of preaching your pastor has had in the past, and, and therefore I can't uh, either diverse from his methods nor uh, adhere to them. I'll just be myself. What you hear this morning is the way I preach. If you like it, fine, and if you don't like it, that's fine, too. We won't have any problems there. In uh, chapter 1 of Ephesians, we're going to read the first 13 verses. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen uh, us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated, according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard that the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. May the Lord add his blessing to this portion of his word, let us pause for just a moment of prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for this privilege 
the opportunity of fellowshipping this morning in your word, the gathering together that the Spirit of God might be in our midst to lift, up, to lift us up and to bless us. We open our hearts unto thee, and we pour out our spirit that your spirit might commune with ours, and together we would be one in thee. Bless our fellowship. Our Father, if there is any in this congregation this morning that has not felt the desire and the need or the willingness to accept thee as, your Lord, as their Lord and Savior, we pray that to be something in this service, in this message, that might cause their hearts to be receptive to the appeal of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Bless us and direct us in all we do, we ask in Christ's name. Now, I suspect that if you're like most, you probably cannot now repeat back to me very much of what I just read and you followed there in your Bible. Don't be discouraged. I can't do it either, and I doubt that very many people can. My point is that sometimes the Scripture is not as clear as perhaps it might be at first reading. And that's one of the reasons that we have somebody expound to us from time to time is to, is to get in the depths of it. Now, let me give you in a, in a capsule what Paul has actually said to the book of Ephesians. Follow there in your Bible, if you will. In the first verse, he said that he is writing this letter to the faithful who are in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we can take this book and realize that it is a personal letter to you and to me. Personal. That's the first word that we can get from this chapter. All right. In verse 3. He says that he has blessed us with a spiritual blessing. Can anybody deny that? In verse 4, he says he has chosen us. In verse 5, he has adopted us. In verse 6, he has made us acceptable. In verse 7, he has redeemed us. In verse 9, he has revealed the mystery of his will to us. In verse 11, he says, we have obtained an inheritance from him. In verse 13, he says that he has sealed us. Now, let's go back and notice four particular words in this uh, reading that we have before us in the 13 verses. In verse 4, he has chosen in verse 5, adoption. In verse 7, redemption. And in verse 13, sealed. Now that's Baptist doctrine from one end to the other. And that's what we're going to deal with this morning, the doctrines of the Scripture, the Christian doctrines that Paul gives us here in these words. First of all, look at the word chosen. Being a school teacher for several years, I had the opportunity to witness a lot of things about choosing. One of the things that is done on the playground at recesses in noon, at least in the schools that I uh, attended as a kid, was to choose up and play ball. All of you have done that, haven't you? Somebody is selected to make the choices, and so one stands over here and one stands over there, and they start choosing. But there is a growing fear that comes from the heart of a few because they're sure that they're not going to be chosen for the team. Why? Because they're not a very good player, they can't hit the ball, they're too little, 
And if it's a boy choosing, he probably avoided choosing all of the girls because they can't play anyhow, you know. Somebody was not chosen. And as a teacher, I felt sorry for those kids that weren't chosen because I can remember as a little kid, I was one of those whose heart beat a little faster. And I was so discouraged if I was the last one left and nobody wanted me. Remember that? Well, the Word of God says that there is not a single person upon this earth that needs to have that fear in him when it comes to whether or not God wants him. Because Paul says to us that he, meaning God, has chosen us when? Even before the foundation of the world. Even before we were born, he wanted us. And he chose us. He chose us for adoption. Now, I'm not going to discount the theology and all the doctrines concerning the second birth, the new birth, the rebirth, you must be born again, and all of those things that, that we call, uh, take into our, our scripture and advocate and preach nearly weekly. This is the basis of our theology that you must be born again in order into the kingdom of God. This is basic. And Jesus said to Nicodemus as he met him that day, he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, I don't understand this. How is it possible that a person can enter into his mother's womb and have a second birth? And Jesus had to expound on that to him. This is not our subject this morning. But I want you to notice something about this. There is only one natural born son of God. Only one natural born. The scripture tells us very, very plainly, that there's only one natural born, and that's Jesus Christ. Listen to John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18, and this is John speaking, and the Word, this is Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. There's only one begotten Son. He is Jesus Christ, the Savior. All of us who are children of God have come from some other method of becoming a child of God other than the natural birth. We were not natural-born children of God. Down in verse 18, no man has seen God at any time, only the begotten Son, the only one, the begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now what does all this say? <coughs> We become children of God by the process of adoption. By the process of adoption. Some of you probably are adopted. You weren't naturally born to your parents. I don't know if any of you are or not. If you are not adopted, uh, I'm sure you know somebody that is. I have a brother who adopted a boy. He has three girls of his own. The only way we could seem to get boys in, in our generation was to adopt them. Every one of us had girls. Finally, our young, the youngest brother finally had a son, the last one in the list. And if it hadn't been for him, the natural-born group would have died out uh, completely. And he was naturally born. But my brother next to me adopted uh, a boy, and we have a boy. Our boy is, 
is not natural born. He is the son of my wife's sister that we raised. But he is as much son as anybody could be to, uh, to a father. We can't tell the difference. There is no distinction made in our family between that adopted boy and the natural born children. To my parents, he is a grandson in as true a sense as any grandchild they have naturally born. To me, our son, whom I am not the father of, is as much my son as, as any boy could be. <coughs> and how do those children become such? It's because of a process that we call adoption. I knew a family once who had two boys. One of them was adopted, the other was natural born. One day, a well-meaning but uh, not uh, very couth adult said to the adopted boy, aren't you the one that is adopted? And the boy replied, well, I know that one of us is, but I can't remember which one. Beautiful answer, isn't it? No distinction. And what does the scripture say about us as adopted children of God? We become joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We become as much God's child through the adoption process as Jesus did through the natural born process. We are his children. Comes one of the problems in society as to what to tell children that are adopted. I've had a lot of people uh, talk with me about this in counseling as pastor and, and other places to what, what, do you, what do you say to a child that is adopted to explain all of this? I, I think there is a beautiful uh, relationship that is established here that is really maybe not even established through, through the natural process. Do you know that there are many unwanted children in this world? Do you know that? Children who were born that were not wanted. You know, it's a good possibility that you weren't wanted. I mean, you probably are just as loved. But when uh, your mother found out that you were going to be born, she might have jumped up and shouted for joy, but there's a good possibility she said, Oh, dear. <coughs> and when she told your father, he probably said, Oh, my. Another mouth to feed. You may not have been wanted, but let me talk to you who are adopted. There is a good chance that you were wanted. You were picked out and you were selected by your parents because they wanted you, not because there was an accident that happened or, or something that, that brought about a child that may not have been wanted. The adopted child, for the most part, is wanted. Now God looked down upon this earth and he saw lots of unwanted children down here. And he had compassion on them and he loved them. And he said to his only son, I want them. I want to adopt them. I want them to be my children just like you're my son. Let's save them. Let's bring them out of that unwanted status. God picked you out of all of the people of this world to adopt because he loved you. Because he loved you. I was visiting a home one time 
part of my job. This wasn't my pastoral responsibilities. Talking to a lady about a particular problem, and it wasn't a very well-kept uh, place. And the lady was very unkept herself, and she had a little eight or nine-year-old girl. It was half-clothed and very dirty. Her hair hadn't been washed in, in I wouldn't know how many days, and she had on clothes as you wouldn't believe what clothes there was. And as I talked to her mother, this little girl kept sidling closer, and I noticed her. She'd get closer to me, and closer. And finally, she reached up and took a hold of my hand. I was conscious of all this happening without trying to, to look at her and go ahead and talk to her mother. And she finally came right around in front of me, and she looked up into my face and said, Can I go home with you? My heart liked to broke. And I thought to myself, here is an unwanted child. And I thought of that scripture from Psalm 2710. It says, when my mother and my father forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Listen, it makes no difference what this world says or does. There is somebody who loves you and wants you. And this is God Himself. And all of you have committed to memory John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. That simply brings us to the seventh verse that we cannot possibly overlook and I'll have to hurry. And that is this thing of redemption. You see, there's got to be a price paid for adoption. There's got to be a price paid. You've got to be cleaned up. When the prodigal son came straggling back home with all the filth that he had accumulated on his body and in his life, the scripture tells us that, that he was cleaned up and clean clothes were put on him and rings on his finger and shoes on his feet what it means about clean, and made him presentable unto the, his father. You've got to be made presentable unto God. You and I cannot come into the presence of God in our filthiness. We've got to be made presentable, and this is the purpose of Jesus Christ, the elder son, our brother, who will cleanse us of our impurities and put righteousness upon us so that we can stand before God pure and acceptable and he redeems us and pays the price our cleaning cost his blood we send our clothes to a cleaner and they use a chemical on them and take out all the spots but let me tell you when you go to the spiritual cleaners it's the blood of Jesus Christ that is the chemical that's used and that's the only cleaning process that is possible the only cleaning process of your soul and mine is to have it cleansed in the blood of Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father. All of you have heard that little story about the boy who was carrying his younger brother in his arms. And someone said to him, uh, shouldn't you put him down? Isn't he too heavy for you to carry? And the the older brother said, no, he's not heavy, he's my brother. Oh, he was heavy. 
But there was something about that brother who had a love for his younger one, the younger brother, that wouldn't let him even acknowledge heaviness. How many times have you experienced that type of thing? When someone supported you, even though the burden was tremendous, because they loved you. How many times have you supported someone because you loved them? You bore that burden. He wasn't heavy because he was your son or your daughter or your brother or your sister. The cross of Jesus Christ became the great burden that he had to bear, and he bore it to the cross to Calvary. There he hung upon that cross in order that his blood might be shed, that the price would be paid. Abraham received a son from God named Isaac, you recall, through whom his line was to go, and he was to be the father of a great nation. But God said to Abraham on one occasion, Take your only begotten son, take him out there on the mountain, and there offer him as a sacrifice. And as they went that trip, Isaac said to his father, uh, Father, we have the wood for the fire, but where is the sacrifice? And Abraham in great faith said, The Lord will provide and he tied Isaac and laid him on the altar and brought the knife up in order to strike it in his heart to kill him for the sacrifice. And God stayed his hand because it was evident his faith was genuine and provided the ram caught in the bushes and provided the sacrifice. Listen, there is death for sin. This is basic throughout the scripture. Without the re remission of sin, unless sins are forgiven, unless they're washed away, there is no salvation. The sacrifice that was made, the price that was paid, was Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. All right, let's go down to verse 13. And we deal with the word sealed. Now this is basic Christian doctrine. This is eternal security we're talking about. We as Baptists believe that once you're saved, you're always saved. But I have never preached in a church yet when I was confident that every person that I was preaching to believed that. If you do not believe that once you're saved, you're always saved, you'd better search the scriptures and search them carefully. It is basic doctrine of God's word. Now, we believe that we are saved through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I don't think we're going to have any discussion on that. Anybody would disagree with that. Now, Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. Now, let me ask you something. If you don't believe in eternal security, let me ask you this question and you answer it. If you can be saved today and lost tomorrow, let me ask you, where is the sacrifice for your sin tomorrow? Jesus Christ died only one time. Where do you get the second sacrifice? You see, what we're doing when we uh, uh, talk about uh, being able to be saved and lost and saved and lost, we're going back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, yes, that was possible. They brought their sacrifice and they offered the sacrifice for their sins. And then they did it again and again and again, over and over and over, until the Lord said, I hate and I despise their sacrifices. Therefore, I'm going to make one sacrifice and one sacrifice only, and it will be good for all time. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, and that's why it was necessary for him to die. There was no animal or no person on this earth that was good enough and perfect enough that God could accept their sacrifice to be 
uh, the, uh, for the remission of everyone's sin forever. Jesus died only one time. He died only once. And if you're going to be saved today by his shed blood, but you're going to be lost tomorrow, there is no more shed blood for you. No more shed blood for you. It was only done one time. You've got to be saved once and for all, or you're not saved at all. Paul believed it. He said this in 2 Timothy 1.12, and talking to young Timothy, he said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What did Paul commit unto Jesus Christ, his soul? And Paul said, I believe that he's able to keep my soul. You mean to tell me that it's possible for Jesus to be so, so fickle and so weak that he, that he could lose our soul? I can't believe that. In Romans 8, 35 through 39, let me, let me just turn to that and read it to you. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's a question. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, peril, sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Then he says, no. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded, this is Paul speaking, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height, depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to the tremendous statement that he makes. Nothing can separate us. We are sealed. Now, all of you are acquainted with seals. The notary puts a seal on a document. The secretary of state puts a seal on things. The governor puts seals on things. You've had all kinds of seals. This is talking about the seal of Jesus Christ, the seal of God. And as a matter of fact, the way he says it, it's the seal of the Holy Spirit. If your heart has been cleansed and you have become an adopted child of God, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his seal was stamped on your heart. And nobody is able to move the seal of God. Now the question is, are you saved? Do you have the seal? Have you been adopted? Have you been adopted? Would you bow your heads with me? I want you to consider, if you will, right now, with your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want you to solve in your own mind and heart whether or not you have been adopted. I'm going to ask you who are adopted to respond in a moment. But I'm going to ask those of you who have not been adopted whether you would like to be. All those of you who are adopted this morning who are children of God by the blood of Jesus Christ, be willing just to lift up your hand and by the uplifted hand say, I'm that person. Would you lift it up right now, everywhere, all over? 
God bless you. God bless you. All right, thank you. Now, some of you didn't raise your hands. Have you not been adopted? Would you like to be adopted? Well, you can be by doing what that little girl did to me. Just reach up and take a hold of the hand of God and say, Can I go home with you? I'm going to ask you to respond in a moment and come down this aisle. And I'll meet you down front. Some of the deacons will do the same as, as we uh, extend to you an invitation to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, become a child of God through this adoption process. Would you do it this morning? If you're sitting beside someone that you know needs to, to accept Jesus Christ, would you simply in a moment as we sing, just nudge them and say, I'll go down with you if you want to go. If you want to go but you're a little bit afraid to, would you nudge somebody sitting to you and say, come and go with me. They'll be glad to do it, to give you some moral support. Would you do it? Would you accept Christ as your Savior? We're going to sing our invitation to Him, and I've lost my voice. One hundred ninety-eight. We'll stand together as we sing. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Approach Him. Would you come accept Christ as the Savior as we sing? One ninety-eight. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description. Thank you for listening, and remember to try Trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.